As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. And we're having 20 minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. Today we chatted with David Warren, founder and CEO of Leah App. He talks about the intricacies of finding your way into enterprise organizations and how they unlock new levels of growth by switching up who they were selling to. We'd like to take a moment to thank our awesome sponsors. CodeShip makes continuous delivery simple and easy. Go to CodeShip.com slash RocketShip to get 20% off three months. We'd also like to thank InVision App. 
Envision is by far the best prototyping and collaboration tool on the market. Go to Envision app forward slash rocket ship to get the starter plan free for 90 days. Customer.io is a modern email platform built for startups. Go to customer.io slash rocket ship to start sending emails that convert. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. We're here with David Warren, the founder and CEO of Leah. David, welcome. Thank you. So good to be here. Absolutely. We're really excited to hear your story today. So um, tell us, well, what is Leah first? Great. Leah is a mobile app used by outside sales teams to help them close more deals. It's an app that every morning they wake up and they have new content for their sales meetings that day prepared for them, available under any technological situation, available offline. It fills out their CRM for them, and it lets them know what's happening inside the prospect after they leave the meeting. Salespeople love it. Nice. Very cool. Um, So how did you get started building a sales CRM? Well, I I wouldn't characterize it as a sales CRM so much as it complements CRM. Um, It's really an enablement tool for salespeople. And, uh, and it has great benefits for the marketing and IT folks as well. But we got our start by encountering a problem at Qualcomm, which if you're in San Diego, that's, that's the whale you go and land. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at Qualcomm, you had the uh, global field marketing director who had thousands of people around the world, all of them flying everywhere uh, with various levels of connectivity, trying to sell Qualcomm's products, which change with great frequency as they update their product line. And so what they struggled with was, how do we give these folks great content that helps them communicate, equips them for the sale, is mobily available and secure, and updates? And so it was a great challenge. And at the time, they had various sort of portals that folks would have to punch through a VPN and dig through SharePoint or an intranet. Um, and so we created Leah um, and sold it to Qualcomm as a product so that basically every day those salespeople open up their app and it had automatically pushed out a fresh version of content, ripped off the old version, and it was curated just for them. Um, and so we, we started by finding a problem uh, that the product could solve and burrowed in from there. How did you know that Qualcomm had this problem? Um, we talked to them. We actually listened to them. Um, wow. I've been in sales, marketing, um, and channel work inside B2B high-tech environments for 15 years. And we keep trying to solve this problem of connecting sales and marketing. And so we do it with intranets and portals. We do it with Kumbaya conferences. We do it with promises to be faithful this time. And it never works. And okay. so you end up with sales and marketing basically being the best partnership ever on paper. In the meantime, they're not talking to each other. There's not a connection point. And so I've been trying to solve it. It's been incubating in my head for 15 years. But finally, when you get tablets, you get cloud computing, um, you finally have the tools at hand to really put the solution together. Nice. So you, you went in, you talked to Qualcomm, you said, okay, they've got a problem. Um, I'm going to go build kind of a prototype. What, what happened after that? So what you, what you can't leave out of the story uh, at Qualcomm specifically, but enterprise sales in general, is the need for a champion. And, yeah. um, and inside these large organizations are folks who are trying to do great work. And they're often hampered by their own uh, bureaucracy around them. And so we had a champion in there, several of them, in fact. And we found a lot of folks inside who want to do great work. And so they really partnered with us. We pushed out um, initial versions that were useful and gave enough of a vision that we could get folks behind it from a budget and political standpoint. 
Um, and then we kept iterating. And what you do is you sort of find uh, mile markers to dev against, right? So if there's a big national sales meeting come up, well, what do we really want to debut to make a splash at that? And it became the the sizzle on the on the messaging uh, for folks inside Qualcomm, and and that's how we iterated the product internally at Qualcomm. Very cool. Um, so was Qualcomm the only person that you were working with at the beginning, or did you have other people coming on to the application? Um, in the very beginning, we were developed on-premise for Qualcomm. Um, San Diego has a, a very interesting chart of size of companies, and this solution is specifically uh, uh, valuable to large organizations with larger outside sales forces. Um, and in San Diego, uh, less than 1% of companies have more than 250 employees. And so wow. we're very focused on Qualcomm. Um, there, there's a quality over quantity issue there, too, where you want to dig in deep and you want to talk to end users. You want to talk to admins and refine, refine, refine. Now, in the midst of that, you do end up with a, a certain amount of technology by committee that you eventually have to clean up, but mm -hmm. the gains far exceed the losses. So you're okay with a little technical debt in the beginning in order to get into the enterprise? Right, right. So I'll give you an example of that. At first, the use case was purely uh, putting their content in a secure way on their mobile devices. And then it iterated out to being able to remotely change that and still have it offline and synced up. And then it moves on to developing some basic analytics around there. And you just you iterate and you, uh, you talk to salespeople and you talk to the marketing folks who struggle to have insight into the field. And, uh, and that's how you build it. So how did you keep it um, flexible enough for anybody? Because you must have had a product vision for this um, without taking, I mean, Qualcomm's a massive organization without taking in every single piece of, of advice or request that was needed. Absolutely, because you end up with a Frankenstein product that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so, it, you know, there's some management lessons there that are germane to the technological build out in partnership with the customer, which is if, they're, if their bandwagon is going anywhere close to where you want to go, you hop on board. And okay. so, uh, and so that's what we did. And and what was interesting and is we transitioned the product later. Is we we had to have a product that had eighty features in it and pare it down to twelve that were super meaningful. Um, and so that eventually did get cleaned up as we pushed out to mass market. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices: construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country, or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. And did you? is there a different product that Qualcomm uses versus the mass market? Um, theirs is simply a private labeled and on-premise, and ours, uh, the mass market one, is cloud-based. Was there anything in the agreement that you had to do to make sure that you were able to take it public? Yeah, we had uh, rock-solid IP agreements in place to make sure it was on our side, and it's not a core business for Qualcomm in any way. And in fact, they're excited about us generally proving the use case of mobility and business and enterprise on a global scale. Nice. You asked my question, so. Oh, I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So I guess to expand on that, um, at what point during your time um, developing this with Qualcomm did you go out and start to market it to other companies? So we started talking to other folks um, fairly early to try and understand if there was commonality of use case. 
Um, and it turned out there was. Um, but what we ran into is that it was very difficult to do a top-down sort of CMO-level sales process at other enterprises in a city where we weren't located. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very difficult sales process. Um, and so as we talked about a go-to-market transition from a specific product to a mass-market product, we made some really key decisions about how we were going to do that. And I think the, the largest one we made that ties into the success that we've ended up having is a decision about who we serve. We had been working with the marketing department at Qualcomm, loved them, got the use case, it was functioning for them, but we had to make a decision, were we going to serve marketing or were we going to serve salespeople? Mm. And was that part of your original vision or was that like a pivot once you... Um, it, it was, uh, I would say it was a, a, a mini pivot having run into a lot of roadblocks doing top-down sales into CMOs at Fortune 500s, mm. which is very difficult. And so, but what we ran into was we would talk to salespeople who were using our product and they were effusive with how much they loved it. They absolutely loved it. And so we made a really key decision to say, we serve the salesperson. Mm. What's the core of their challenges? How can we help them solve that? On the premise and hope that these salespeople would like it, pick it up if we made it consumable for them, and then that they would pull us into other enterprises. That's the bet we made. What was kind of your sales strategy on the enterprise side? Um, inbound, outbound, how did you get in touch with these salespeople? So, um, so that was an interesting challenge because we needed them not just from a sales perspective, but from a product development perspective. What mm-hmm. we needed was to spend time with salespeople and understand their day. And not just any salespeople, but a specific cohort. We wanted to really understand the daily life of a certain type of aspirational salesperson. So we, we came to understand certain factors about them that were our core group. They, um, they still make their living primarily off their commission. Um, a key flag for us that we had a good person is if they paid for their LinkedIn upgrade out of their own pocket, for example. Um, that they had a tablet, that they used mobile. And so what started to get painted a picture of was a technologically savvy, um, aspirational salesperson who is struggling to overcome some of the internal barriers that their company created. And so once we started finding these people, we didn't need a ton, but we also didn't want to go out and pay out for formal focus groups and things like that. It's, it's very expensive to do it right. And so instead, we created a fake fan club and printed T-shirts. <laughs> okay. And so uh, we created Closers Club. And when we would go to trade shows, we weren't necessarily there to meet prospects. We wanted to meet these aspirational salespeople. And we had a big sign that said, Leah loves closers. Closers love Leah. And they became self-selecting as they found us. They would be walking down the show floor, and they would see the sign, and the guy would look at me and go, I'm a closer. (laughs) I all right, come on in. We'd give him a T-shirt. And then, you know, we'd have him back to the office, and, uh, and we'd pour drinks, and we'd run through product specs, and we'd run through use cases. And they loved to share it with us, and they loved to invite their friends in. Um, and then, of course, became a natural sales channel later. Um, you know, B2B sales is, is different than uh, consumer sales. Consumer sales with its, you know, sort of mass market advertising model. Ours is a very direct, uh, relationship-driven uh, sales process. I'll, my joke around the office is that we found a secret marketing lead gen tool. It's called Bourbon. <laughs> because we have folks in and we take them out for drinks. We figure out how to solve their problem and, and we scale from there. Old school. Old school. <laughs> wow, that is, that is awesome. That is such a good tactic. I never would have thought of that. So what's uh, the timeline like on a, a sale with this kind of target? 
Yeah. So, um, so we have a we have a few interesting use cases on that. So we we do get picked up by smaller teams, right? Teams of 20, 40, 60, and those go fairly quickly. Um, when you start to look at some of the bigger brands we've been able to move on to, folks like uh, Cisco or Deutsche Bank, what you end up seeing is a really interesting sales model, which I don't think is uncommon inside the enterprise. In fact, it's something that Salesforce was famous for as they got their launch, which is you find a group of folks in there who can use it no matter what size it is, and you have them pull you in. And a use case is created, uh, metrics are created around it that build the case for when the day comes that they're discovered by procurement or by IT. And when that happens, you can go, yes, but look at what's happening to our numbers. Look how it's affecting the troops. Um, all All these positive things happen that allow you to then make the case to become legitimized within the organization. So we've had a lot of salespeople pull us into their teams, and then we go in and apologize and make it right and grow from there. <laughs> so do you do you help them measure the effective, effectiveness of it? Absolutely. So the the primary thing we do is create a useful tool for salespeople mm-hmm. that helps them sell more, make their quota, take admin time off their backs. That's what we do. But we do have a lot of great and valuable tools for the marketing folks and for the IT folks. And so while they're using our tool, uh, we're capturing analytics. Okay. okay. We have our own proprietary analytics, and we can plug in things like Google Analytics or Flurry or any number of third-party uh, folks. And that's insanely helpful to the marketing person because if you think about their world inside corporate, they have all these analytics on one side of lead capture. They have a ton of analytics about uh, traffic sources and folks on the website and time on the website and the call to action they clicked and the lead form they filled out and the lead submission to the salesperson. Yep. And then two months later, the deal closes and the salesperson goes, yeah, that happened because I'm a badass. <laughs> Well, did marketing contribute anything towards that? Right. Was content used in any form? Um, And so what we're able to do is we're able to say, these salespeople use this content at this time and date in these conversations. And then one of the things that we built into the product is the ability for a sales rep to send content from the Leah app to their prospect. And then we track how the prospect engages with the content. So you imagine the power of those statistics just as a standalone feature to a marketing person. Then when you overlay that with pipeline metrics from their CRM, you start to see a really powerful holy grail of marketing, which is how can we ascribe our contribution towards pipeline metrics and revenue? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That sounds like a huge problem to tackle, actually. How long has it taken you to get from like the very beginning to kind of the front and back end of this whole thing. Yeah, so uh, we've been at it for uh, about two years now, um, and uh, and it's a very interesting problem. We get a little bit ahead of our skis from a development perspective, learn, and then refine. I think um, we occasionally make the mistake, and I know our competitors often make the mistake, um, of thinking that additional features equals technological progress. And it doesn't. No. Taking things away actually signifies progress. And so we will put out uh, a lot of features, and then we'll pull, pull back the ones that aren't uh, highly useful. So it's, it's a work in progress. Closers Club is still in effect, and, uh, and we learn every day from people who use the app. That's so, very cool. Oh, go on, Matt. Is that just something that you do at conferences, or do you have a, like an online community where you're bringing people together? Um, we, we do a lot at conferences. We do a lot. We travel around and see people. Um, we moved uh, staffing resources into customer success. 
And one of the neat internal shifts that's happened from a product development perspective is going from a sort of whiteboard-driven dev process to a customer response-driven development process, right? So you have at least 80% of your product features coming out of a customer request. Mm -hmm. That's happening on the marketing and the admin side, and it certainly happens on the sales side. There's not a lot of shy, successful salespeople out there. Yeah. Interesting. And and the feedback that you're getting from customers, is that normally on track with what you guys think you should be building? Um, sometimes it's times it's quite it's quite it's quite it's knowing what to listen to and what not. Right. And what to ignore. Right. And um, and really the, the dirty secret of focus groups and this type of uh, learning is to keep asking the question until the answers become consistent. Um, the danger is that, you know, a, a large customer is going to view a request as a command. And you have to be handle that delicately. Um, but really, if you keep asking, you find a commonality of answers, and that becomes your dev pipeline. So you're breaking it down into smaller pieces? Breaking it down into smaller pieces, pushing it out, testing it. Uh, we, do, we do a lot of testing. Yeah. And are you doing any, like, phone sales or...? We do a fair amount of phone sales. We have, uh, customer referrals are our number one lead gen activity. Um, we're ramping up the trade show side of things quite a bit. Uh, fortunately, we have an excited user base that likes to talk. And, uh, and salespeople aren't necessarily uh, large tweeters, mm-hmm. um, but they do talk to each other, uh, if only to brag and compare. Mm-hmm. And so they've been able to share us and pull us in to other folks. You know, as we ramped up, we launched our SaaS product in November uh, of 2013 is as that ramped up uh, the largest uh, growth segment has come from referrals well that's fantastic it's yeah. it's nice that's, that's the sign um, so what's next on the roadmap for you guys so um, so several things from both a, a business and a technology perspective are next for us I think we're seeing um, as we built out our own analytics and, and complemented it with some other great analytics tools, and including you know folks in San Diego like AppMetrics, Animetrics, and then, of course, the Googles and Flurries of the world. And you take our own analytics. Right now, that's benefiting the marketing person. What we're starting to do is figure out how to, how to benefit the salesperson with analytics. Um, because by and large, CRM has gone from a tool that helps salespeople track things for themselves to uh, basically an NSA for the company spying on the salesperson. It doesn't mm-hmm. hold a ton of benefit for the end salesperson, the person on the street. And so our focus right now, going back to our charter, is how do we serve the salesperson with analytics? And we're coming up with some really interesting, creative ways to do that from a technology perspective. And then from a business perspective, we're becoming embedded with some very large enterprise software players. Because here's what's happened. We've, we've catered to the salesperson. It's been great for this stage of growth. They pull us into their team. We grab 100 seats, and then we're on our own to grow it from there. after having to apologize to IT. Mm -hmm. And so what we're starting to do is create some deep, deep partnerships that we'll be announcing soon uh, with some large entrenched enterprise players that will credential us within the enterprise, piggyback on their sales teams, and uh, and drive that next level of growth. Very cool. So where can we keep up with you um, online moving forward? Uh, you can find us at liaapp.com, L-I-A-A-P-P.com. We have a blog there. You can find us on Twitter at Leah Insight. Uh, That's the best way to keep in touch. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. And uh, if there's any salespeople out there, contact us about Closers Club. We could always use new folks around the table. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. 
If you haven't yet, pop open iTunes and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. We have some really great ones lined up. And while you're there, leave us a review. We really appreciate each and every one of them.